Transvestitism is to grossly pervert one of the most basic and wonderful orthodox doctrines, that is, the immutability of God. Transvestites, through their profession and their behavior, are saying that God is like a wax nose, changing and changeable, unsettled, or, if you will, chaotic. If chaos is all there ever was, is, or will be, you will only ever produce chaos and death. The Godly Troublemaker Podcast Introduction I'm not terribly old yet, but I'm not a spring chicken anymore either, not by any stretch. But I still vaguely remember the year of our Lord, 2020. I remember a whole lot of things, even things outside of all the COVID tyranny and insanity. Things like race riots. Those were fun. I remember how we were told over and over again that once you become a police officer, you instantly, by some sort of mythical powers outside of oneself, become a racist. We were told that black people were being targeted by those orcs in uniform and how it was hunting season in our cities. True or false, it didn't much matter. Now, in order to correct this grievous injustice that may or may not have been true, it doesn't matter because it was so bad that we needed to treat it like it was true. The way to fix all of this potential hatred for black people was for young middle-class white people to burn down cities, particularly in black neighborhoods, to show our solidarity with them by destroying their homes and businesses. Take that, racism. I even remember non-racist politicians who love the black community, like Mitt Romney, marching in protest with some black people, whom he just met, and just realized there were blacks in his community too. I remember mobs, I mean communities of peaceful people, seeking justice by marching down the streets chanting, and in order to fix this problem of systemic racism that was systemically bad and institutional and stuff. But the reason I'm currently taking this trip down memory lane is because of one such chant that I remember, but ironically, I haven't heard recently. That is the chant, Remember Their Name. This was chanted at peaceful protests because anytime a black person, whom we know is inherently good, is shot and killed by a police officer whom we know has to be inherently white, which means it is inherently unjust, therefore, we must remember the victims' names in order to correct said injustice by said whiteies, regardless of the color of their skin. Seeing this to be a good idea and a great way to memorialize legitimate victims, and not a political ploy at all, you can imagine my surprise when there was dead silence regarding the six victims that were maliciously gunned down in Nashville, Tennessee at Covenant School. The six victims were Evelyn Dykehouse, nine years old, Haley Scrugg, also nine years old, and William Kinney, who was also nine years old, Cynthia Peak, 61 years old, Mike Hill, 61 years old, and Catherine Kuntz, who is 60 years old. Now, at first, I couldn't understand why there were no peaceful protests and why there was no call to remember their names. But as I thought about it, it all made complete sense. These people were all white, with the exception of Mike Hill, who was a black man, but obviously must have become white because he worked at a Christian school. Also, these people can't be remembered in any way. They were Christians and must have contributed to this horrible crime in some way. 
Well, lo and behold, as we dig deeper, we find out that the murderous, insane shooter was a tranny. This poor, victimized, and well-grounded woman, who thought she was a man, was just trying to live her best life now. Everything was going well until these damn white Christians ruined it all for her. What did Evelyn Dykhouse, Haley Scruggs, William Kinney, Cynthia Peake, Mike Hill and Catherine Kuntz do to this poor, well-grounded, and obviously innocent tranny? Well, nothing specifically, but we know for certain that they must exist in a certain class of people that is not actively affirming the trans community, whatever that is. This was such an act of violence that this lack of affirmation traumatized this normal, well-grounded person to such a degree that they were forced to defend themselves. And oh yeah, the guns made her do it, and mental health and stuff. Where are all of our leaders, one might ask? Because they are so busy leading and stuff, we can rest assured that this will never happen again as they stand with the trans community, whatever that is, and write new legislation restricting the purchase of military assault weapons, whatever they are, so that these horrible weapons will no longer make trans people do bad things, thus further victimizing this community. Trannies and the Devil Our culture has become like a giant soft pile of dog shit on freshly fallen snow on a quaint December morning. Perhaps, if you will, like the chunk at the beginning of an overly long skid mark, or perhaps like an embarrassingly large turd that won't flush, which not only causes laughter and tears at the same time, but also causes you to question all of your life's decisions. Now, if me using such descriptive language to describe our culture makes you feel uncomfortable, I would argue that's my point. If me violating every nice Christian shibboleth makes you feel uncomfortable, I would argue that said madness has advanced rapidly while maintaining said shibboleths, and that could possibly be part of the problem. Never mind that we are pumping kids full of hormones and hormone blockers and cutting their genitals off. He said the word shit. So, let's get our priorities straight, shall we? If your response regarding said shit talk, particularly its height and breadth and depth and length, is that of disgust, I would say, that's my point. The widespread tolerance, acceptance, and promotion of transvestitism is far worse far more crass, far more vulgar, and far more disgusting than anything that I described above. And if I can get you to associate the two, then good. What's happening culturally is an end-of-a-nation phenomenon that at best will cause great harm and immeasurable damage in generations to come, and at worst, there will be no generations to come. Transvestitism is not simply an alternative lifestyle choice, like one choosing to live in the city or in the country. It is absolute rebellion against the almighty triune God of Scripture, and its cultural proliferation is a sign of God's present and future wrath upon a people. All this to say that no matter what way you cut up this pig, it ain't going to be pretty. Or if you will, whichever way we turn, there are miles upon miles of bad road in front of us 
all because of us. The fact of the matter is that when you begin to entertain something as depraved and wicked as transvestitism within a culture, it will become harder and harder to repent of and correct without great pain, the likes of which we simply do not have any resolve for as a people yet. However, if it's not repented of, regardless of the pain that will necessarily occur from writing this ship, it will completely destroy a people. Let me explain why this is, theologically, and then give a historical example of what happens when we fully abandon God and are abandoned by God. Human beings were made in the image and likeness of God. We are the only copied creatures in all of creation. We were made to worship, and given our nature, we will reflect what we worship, or, if you will, we become like what we behold. That is, we gravitate towards what our affections are set upon. To gaze upon the glory of God, to walk with Him and dwell in His presence brings fullness of joy, but it also brings blessings and order and fruitfulness and everything else that follows. To rebel against the author of life is to rebel against all that He is. It is to deny reality as such, the consequences of which have profound ethical and epistemological implications. So then, we become like what we worship. God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is self-existent and exists in perfect harmony within Himself, perfect love and unity, one God in three persons. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. His love is perfect and He is altogether holy. His will and His law is good and to dwell with Him is life-giving because He is the author of life. To worship something else is to corrupt and pervert reality. It is to live a lie and is to break the law. The end result of turning from God is not only disunity and disharmony with God, self, and creation. It is a distortion and destruction of creation and everything contained therein, including oneself. The ultimate result of those who hate God is death. To deny God his glory ultimately ends in suicide or genocide. All this to say that when we pervert God's image, we are saying something about God to the rest of his creation. We are saying that this is what God is like. So to jigger with God's design of male or female, male and female roles, is to misrepresent God, to take that a step further and engage in homosexual behavior, and even further to normalize it is to grossly pervert what God is like because you have removed diversity from the equation, which is one reason why said practice is called an abomination. Transvestitism is to grossly pervert one of the most basic and wonderful orthodox doctrines, that is, the immutability of God. Transvestites, through their profession and their behavior, are saying that God is like a wax nose, changing and changeable, unsettled, or, if you will, chaotic. If chaos is all there ever was, is, or will be, you will only ever produce chaos and death. So then, when we see such a gross exercise in acceptance of sexual confusion and perversion, it is a clear and unquestionable sign of demonic activity, not just when practiced, but also when approved of in any way. I believe said judgment is clearly seen in the scriptures, particularly God's judgment upon Jerusalem, not just through her destruction by the Romans in AD 70, but also in the horrors leading up to said destruction. 
As the people of God abandoned God and rejected His Christ, He turned them over to a wicked and debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Josephus says that the people lost all ability to reason, which should sound eerily familiar. With frenzied mobs attacking each other, people starving to death, fathers slaughtering their own families, and mothers eating their own children. John describes the first woe of judgment as follows, quote, In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is called Apollyon. Revelation 9, 7-11. John is describing the unleashing of demonic activity upon the holy city in symbolic and apocalyptic language. This swarming multitude is led by Abaddon, which is Hebrew for destruction, and Apollyon, which is Greek for destroyer. The result was chaos. He led his locusts like a legion of demons through Jerusalem that wrecked havoc on the city. They had men's faces, they were men and had intellect, but hair like women— They were perverse and effeminate, but they were men. That is, they were trannies. They were fierce and violent. They had lion's teeth, breastplates of iron. They appeared invulnerable. They sting like a scorpion. They are poisonous and bring death. They sound like angels, but they are wicked. Josephus describes what it was like in Jerusalem before its destruction. Quote, while their inclination to plunder was insatiable, as was their zeal in searching the houses of the rich, and for the murdering of the men and abusing of the women, it was sport to them. They also devoured what spoils they had taken, together with their blood, and indulged themselves in feminine wantedness, without any disturbance till they were satiated therewith, while they decked their hair and put on women's garments, and were besmeared over with ointment. And that they might appear very comely, they had paints under their eyes, and imitated not only the ornaments, but also the lusts of women, and were guilty of such intolerable uncleanness that they invented unlawful pleasures of that sort. And thus did they roll themselves up and down the city." as in a brothel house, and defiled it entirely with their impure actions. Nay, while their faces looked like the faces of women, they killed with their right hands, and when their gait was effeminate, they presently attacked men and became warriors, and drew their swords from under their finely dyed cloaks, and ran everybody through whom they alighted upon. Josephus, Wars 4, 9, and 10. So when you have evangelical leaders promoting the exercise of homo and tranny hospitality in the name of being winsome, we should fully understand that they are being winsome, but it is not for Christ. It is for the devil. And not only that, they're actively promoting the destruction of our civilization as we know it. 
The level of depravity was epic in Jerusalem before its destruction. However, as bad as they were, and for all the horrors that descended upon that city as a result, I'm pretty confident they never had tranny story hour. I'm pretty sure they never taught homo history at the local public school. I'm pretty sure they never cut kids' genitals off and pumped them full of hormones. I'm pretty sure they never invited trannies to the national prayer breakfast. All that to say that our level of depravity is epic, even if we've coated it with a thin, sanitized, pious gloss. And we may be tempted to think that we are at the bottom of the slide. However, I would argue that the snowball was just dropped at the top of the hill and it's just begun to roll. Transvestitism is demonic and is a sign of God's judgment upon a nation. And when those demons come prancing out of the closet, you can bet your bottom dollar that all hell is going to break loose. You can't flirt with the devil. You can't tolerate the devil. You can't accept the devil. He is a destroyer, and all he knows is destruction and death. If you dance with the devil, the devil don't change. He changes you. Now, a good number of people are very concerned, as well they should be. It's just incredibly sad that it took the local drag queen putting his dick in front of your kids' faces for us all to get to this point. But go ahead and keep complaining at your local school board meetings. I am sure that that will make a difference with the very people that principally thought that that would be a good idea. Conclusion There were six victims at Covenant School on that horrible day. Evelyn Dykos, Haley Scruggs, William Kinney, Cynthia Peake, Mike Hill, and Catherine Kuntz. But that tranny was not one of them. And the fact that anyone in the media or in the church would describe her as a victim is a sign that we have miles upon miles of bad road in front of us. What should the saints do? Well, first, I think we need to remember that even the devil is God's devil and that judgment begins with the household of God. Much of this madness is the result of a weak, cowardly, and separatist church, which was on full display like any good tranny at story hour during the three-plus years of COVID. While others would prefer spending more time complaining about tertiary issues in the church than with the all-out assault on the church from the outside, trannies are catechizing and killing our kids— while half of the church is more afraid of Christian nationalism, and the other half is espousing the virtues of head coverings. Am I exaggerating to make a point? Yes, I am. Now, is a healthy debate on Christian nationalism important? Yep, but the fact that some are more up in arms about that than they are about trannies killing kids shows how desperately needed it actually is. Christian nationalism, that is, and how terribly tone-deaf they are. I may or may not be speaking about G3. What about the head coverings debate? Sure, I guess that would be helpful for the five people that want to have it that are basically the Christian equivalent of a handful of Comic-Con dorks. Priorities, priorities. Our culture will never repent if we don't show them how. And the culture will never turn unless we can show them where to turn to find a safe haven and a refuge from a dead and dying world. Turning to Christ is the only answer. The only thing that can restore a dead people is resurrection. There are only two options at the end of the day, and every last one of us is moving towards one of those two directions. It is Christ or chaos, life or death. 
Second, I think saying that we should pray is a gross understatement. Of course we should, constantly and without ceasing. But how? With imprecatory prayers. Even the martyred saints plea for vengeance before the throne of God, and God, in His grace, heard their prayer and poured out His wrath upon Jerusalem. Quote, God has given us numerous examples of imprecatory prayers, showing repeatedly that one aspect of a godly man's attitude is hatred for God's enemies and fervent prayer for their downfall and destruction. Why then do we not see the overthrow of the wicked in our own time? An important part of the answer is the unwillingness of the modern church to pray biblically. And God has assured us, you do not have because you do not ask. James 4.2. But the first century church, praying faithfully and fervently for the destruction of apostate Israel, had been heard at God's heavenly altar. His angels were commissioned to strike. End quote. David Chilton. Unless we can get to that point, that list of names that we should remember is going to get a whole lot longer, and the devil would have it to be so. However, I would strongly warn you against being his accomplice.